Hey, everybody. We're so excited for you to dive into this week's episode. We did want to let you know that we will be talking about traumatic birth experiences, referencing infant loss, and also discussing weight stigma in healthcare. If this is something that you are not up for hearing today, please feel free to choose another episode. Welcome to Wellness Rebranded. We know there's so much conflicting health and fitness advice out there, and you're tired of the senseless and toxic diet culture noise. You're ready to tune into your body, feel empowered around food, and focus on your true health and well-being. Welcome to the Wellness Rebranded podcast. We're the healing trio of your health and wellness anti-diet dreams. I'm Tara, personal trainer. I'm Elizabeth, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And I'm Maura, licensed clinical social worker. Together, we're pushing back on diet culture, hustle culture, and toxic positivity to help you practice genuine health-promoting self-care. So grab your water bottle, forget the rules, and let's start rebranding your wellness journey. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Rebranded. Today, Tara and I are here chatting, and we wanted to tackle the topic of fat phobia and weight stigma in healthcare and what a weight-neutral approach to health looks like. And Tara, you wanted to kick us off with a story or your own personal experience. Yes, I have to warn you guys, this is not like a good story. (laughs) Don't get excited. It has a happy ending. I'm alive. Thank goodness. So, but it's definitely an interesting experience that I had that I find that many clients come to me and share similar stories. And it's a huge problem. People shouldn't be treated like this because they weigh more than a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Right. So rewind a couple of years ago, I was thinking about getting pregnant and my doctor said, no, don't get pregnant. Women like you die in childbirth. Have you heard the stat of people dying in childbirth? That's you. Oh, my gosh. My eyes are bugging out of my head right now. Yes. Real true story. And I said, okay, well, I guess that doesn't sound good. So I guess I just won't get pregnant. And I kind of like took a while to wrap my brain around that because dying in childbirth didn't sound fun to me. And then somebody encouraged me to go to like an actual fertility doctor and have that conversation with them since they deal with that on a more regular basis. And I went to see my fertility guy, who's awesome, by the way, if you need a referral and you're in Annapolis, Mm -hmm. I got you. And he was like, well, no, this is ridiculous. You're healthy. All your blood work is good. Your numbers are good. You're going to be fine. It was a relief to me. But I have to say, like, my whole pregnancy, in the back of my mind, I was like, of course, because what a terrible fear to implant in someone. Like, as a first time mom, you hear that labor sucks anyway. Yes. And I'll be honest with you guys, it did suck. (laughs) But you don't often know people that have like died in childbirth that's like something that happened in the olden days and we're like new days so this isn't that common anymore but apparently it still does happen and i was the perfect candidate to make that happen so i was extra well that's what they said yeah that's what they said obviously i survived guys so all during pregnancy i had a really textbook perfect pregnancy no health issues i exercised during pregnancy up to my abilities we'll do a whole other episode on exercise and pregnancy at some point and then Because I was geriatric and obesity, in their words, not Geriatric? Yes, I love being a 36-year-old geriatric pregnant woman. Oh, my gosh. Can we just stop labeling people all together? Right? Especially the old one. (laughs) So they induced me on my due date because they were adamant that I not go past my due date because of being old and fat. Right? And there actually is really good research to support inductions at like 38, 39 weeks for everybody, not just old and fat people. 
because the outcomes for the infant are better than if you go overdue. So even if I had been like young and thin, I would have probably still wanted an induction at that time because it's just better for the baby. But anyway, not the point. So during my induction, I came in and they were like, okay, do you want an epidural? And I said, hell yeah. I do not like pain. I would like an epidural immediately. You are much smarter than me. I did not say that the first time around. And I do not know what I was thinking. (laughs) Yes, it was a good decision that I made. But they were very concerned about setting it properly because apparently I'm big enough that they weren't sure if they could get it in the right spot. And they did not. So my epidural did not work. So that was cool. And then... There's so much weight stigma in every aspect of this story. My heart is breaking. Girl, I didn't even get to like the bad part yet. Oh, my God. It's a long story. I know I'm taking forever here. So when you're in labor, they kind of put you on a blood pressure cuff just forever, which is so uncomfortable and unnecessary, in my opinion. I would much rather they come in, wake me up if they need to and do the blood pressure rather than just have this thing on my arm for four days. But I was trying to get some sleep, which is impossible because I was in active labor and I was kind of laying on my arm that the blood pressure cuff was on and the blood pressure cuff inflated and it came out that my blood pressure was like a little bit high. And so they were like, oh, we're really concerned about this. You're a big girl. Your blood pressure's high. You could develop into preeclampsia, have seizures and strokes and lose the baby in a five minute span. And I was like, well, yikes, I don't want that. And I don't want seizures and strokes or to lose the baby. So what do we recommend? And they said, well, let's take another blood pressure reading and we'll reassess in just a little bit. In the meantime, right, they had come and given me the epidural. When you get an epidural, they give you a catheter because now you can't get out of bed and walk around. Mm -hmm. And they had a nurse in training give my catheter and she did not do it properly. Oh, my goodness. So I didn't realize it at the time, but she like scraped the inside of my urethra. So I was bleeding from the bladder region. And so the bag of pee that hangs on the side of your bed, it was like filling up with pee and blood. And they saw that and they were like, oh, my God, there's protein in her urine. It's definitely preeclampsia. Get the drugs now. Which I appreciate the urgency of this. Uh If it had been preeclampsia, like, great. I was being well taken care of. But Not once did they like test to see if there was protein in my urine, Mm. which is what would have made the color change like that. They didn't take into account that I'd had great blood pressures my entire pregnancy. Yeah, they were making an assumption based on your body size. Exactly. So they put me on all sorts of drugs for that. And these drugs make it so that you can't get out of bed for 24 hours after you give birth. Mm -hmm. So you're basically like stuck in this Super, super comfortable bed. (laughs) My back hurts so bad after labor, not from being in labor, but because I'm in the bed in this like prison. But the worst part about it is they didn't tell me ahead of time or I will allow if they did. I did not remember it that these drugs were going to make my baby be born not breathing. So they were very, I know I would have been like, let me take my chances. I don't want my son not breathing when he's born. So I gave birth and They held this baby up and they said, Mom, here's your baby, as they were running out to go to the NICU. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really get this. It's traumatic. (laughs) It is traumatic, but I'm over it. (laughs) Hopefully. I don't know. Maybe I need therapy. Where's Mara? Yeah, right? Mara, you're missing out. (laughs) So I don't really even remember seeing him like that. 
And I was exhausted, of course, 30 hours of labor. I just was like, let me go to sleep here. But they sewed me up and then I had to come back in a couple of days later for like a blood pressure check. And of course, it was fine. I was no longer in labor pain and I wasn't medicated any longer. And Maverick did start breathing on his own not long after he was out. Thank goodness. Um, and he was okay. Spent four days in the NICU. But all of this could have been avoided if they had looked at me yeah. and not my body. Mm-hmm. So I had what I do consider to be like a pretty traumatic birth experience. And by the way, when I went back, I said, listen, I'm pretty much like healed down there, which I didn't expect that postpartum period to be easy at all. But I'm still bleeding like when I pee. And they were like, honey, you just had a baby. Of course you're bleeding down there. Mm -hmm. And I said, but it's not coming from the vagina. It's coming from the urethra. And they were like, I don't think so. But go pee in this cup and we will check it. And that's how they said it. They were like real condescending like that. And they came back in and they were like, girl, you were right. It is coming from your urethra. And I was like, yeah, I know. I do know where the blood is coming from. So I was like condescended in postpartum and eventually everything healed itself or whatever. But that mistake took like six months to be healed. Yeah, wow. And like traumatically memory, emotional, social wise, it took longer than that. Yeah. And it's a common story. Right. This isn't just my experience. I have tons of people who tell me this all the time experiences of fat phobia in the medical care system. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I hear from my clients all the time, too. And I think our traditional model of healthcare is weight centric, right? It's all about BMI. Mm -hmm. It is all about putting emphasis on weight, emphasis on weight loss when defining or obtaining health. And it's doing harm. Yeah, it does harm. And I think there's a better way of approaching it. Yeah. And also it's confusing because like what we're told is higher weight, poor health outcomes. Being at the higher weight causes the poor health outcomes when in reality it's a correlation, not a causation, which is a really important distinction. And also there's lots of confounding variables that get overlooked in the research. So like one, I just had a conversation today with someone who has experienced a lot of weight stigma in the medical care system, is completely frustrated, dreads going to the doctor because it's just preparing to be shamed mm-hmm. is what she feels like. This is me. So she avoids going. She is not sought yeah. out getting particular medications for particular things that she needs them for. She's putting it off. Yeah. And that's a classic example of a confounding variable for when we look at the associations, again, correlations, not causation between weight and health, which is if someone in a larger body has had such terrible experiences in our weight centric, fat phobic medical care system that they're now avoiding going or delaying getting care. Well, of course, that's going to impact the health outcome. And instead, we just look at it or society just looks at it and says, oh, it's because of their body size. Yeah. Well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm -hmm. Of course, if you're shamed at the doctor, you're not going to go as regularly. You're not going to get your regular screenings. And by the time you find a problem, it's going to be worse. It's crazy. Well, and also things get missed. So even when someone who's really doesn't want to be at the doctor and is doesn't want to experience that weight stigma goes just exactly like you just described 
assumptions are made about that person based on their body size and things get missed. And so, so often a thin person and a fat person will go to the doctor for the same medical condition and they get different recommendations and different treatments and different outcomes, right? Yeah. Those in larger bodies are automatically given what? Lose weight. Right. Lose whatever the problem is, practically lose weight. Well, the person in the smaller body, they're not going to give that intervention. So what intervention are they giving? Usually it's either a lifestyle change or a medication or physical therapy or further testing, right? So it's like understanding that people are receiving very often two different types Mm -hmm. of care. And of course, that has an impact on health outcomes. And it happens in reverse, too, right? Sometimes people in thinner bodies may not get certain screenings because they don't fit the quote unquote profile of of what people are expecting. And so the point of it all is that weight stigma and fat phobia in our medical system, of course, it impacts health outcomes. Sure. I have a great example of this. I went for my like yearly pap smear, whatever, a couple of months ago, and I have a family history of uterine cancer. And they were basically like, if you get uterine cancer, you're too fat. There's nothing we can do for you. We'll give you an IUD and that'll slow down the progress. And I feel like, oh, my God, now I like cannot get that because they're just going to let me die, Uh which is horrifying. That is horrifying. And even just the fear and the shame and yeah. the guilt of saying that to yeah. someone. That, how is that helping anyone? No, it was not helpful to me. Yeah. By the way, if anybody has a recommendation for a good, <laughs> good OBGYN in Annapolis, I'm all ears. Yeah. And that shame and guilt causes stress. It detracts from health and well-being, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many ways that this just goes wrong. Yeah. And we're as healthcare providers, like we're trying not to do harm, but yet the whole setup of our system is unfortunately causing a lot yeah, of harm. Set up to do harm. You know what blows my mind the most, I think, is no doctor ever gets into this to go like, I'm going to cause hit harm to people. Of course not. And yet they don't seem to see the problem with the system that they're in. Yeah. And if they do see the problem, they're not doing anything about it. Well, a lot of them. And I think it's partly because the bias is even in the research. Yeah. It's built into the very research, that weight bias. And if you even just look at some of the ways that studies are done. So the research, we see this research in sports, too, where not everybody is being represented. So for a long time, we thought knee injuries were just thing that just happened. And then when we started adding females into the research, we saw that the anatomy is different. And because the Q angle, the angle between the hip and the knee is different in women, now we know that that is like a risk factor for knee injuries. So representation really matters in research. Yeah. And different ethnicities, right? Huge thing that we're just starting to scratch the surface with all this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have a long way to go. Yeah. And talking about the research, even when they do research studies looking at weight loss and then conclude that improved health. Yes. Well, is it the weight loss that improved the health or think about what people are doing to get that weight loss, right? They're usually eating different types of foods. They're moving more. Is it maybe they're doing some different lifestyle things? So it's the behaviors that changing it. Yeah. But they've actually done some cool studies. There's one in particular I'm thinking of where they took a group of larger bodied people gave them liposuction and then looked at a bunch of their lab markers, metabolic parameters. And if it was the fat loss, right, that was causing the problem, those things should improve. 
when you do the liposuction, but they didn't actually. Without the behavior change, the improvements weren't made, which I can't help but think right now about the Ozempic uh-huh. craze. And like if that's not accompanied with lifestyle changes, like I wonder what that will show. But that's I digress. Um, I so want to have that conversation. But yeah, perhaps it's things more like metabolic dysfunction than actual weight that yes, are contrib- causing a problem uh-huh, that contributes. So I guess the point is that there's tons of weight stigma in our medical care system, unfortunately, which is why we're so passionate about getting out the alternate message and rethinking wellness. And I consider myself to be a weight neutral healthcare provider. And essentially what that means is really putting the focus on behaviors and zooming out for physical, mental, emotional well-being instead of weight. Yes. I can't tell you how many times people tell me how much they appreciate it. People who feel left out. I hear that a lot, too. Like, it's so nice to find somebody who's not trying to make me smaller. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because that implies that I'm not good the way I am. Yeah. It becomes a morality issue again. Well, sure. And also many of those people have been given diet after diet and told to lose weight time after time after time after time. And we know it doesn't work. And if we don't have a reliable, proven way for you to lose weight, there is no evidence-based diet that's linked with long-term weight loss Mm -hmm. and keeping it off, then really we're providing an ineffective treatment. We're suggesting an ineffective treatment and that's very disempowering. Yes. To people's health. <laughs> Evelyn Trebley, who's one of the founders of Intuitive Eating, likes to say, if a doctor gave you a medication with a 95% failure rate, would you take it? No. And yet that's essentially what we're doing every time we prescribe weight loss. Yeah. Well, okay, but how? What's going to produce that and sustain it? Yeah. Would it be possible, Elizabeth, to link your resource somewhere on how to deal with medical providers that are weight neutral? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like that would be a great thing to share with everybody. Yes, I can absolutely link that in the show notes. That's such a great idea. I forgot about that. It's actually not mine. It came from another provider. So I'll reach out. I'm sure she's fine with it, but I'll reach out and make sure it actually came from a weight neutral doctor that is a colleague of mine, which is what I even love more about it is it's like if you are... And actually, thank you for bringing that up anyway, because it brings home the point of it's okay to advocate for yourself at the doctor. And there are tools to help you do it that that you mentioned is certainly one of them. Also, a lot of people don't know that we have a consent based medical system. You do not have to get weighed when you go to the doctor. You are able to decline it and say, no, I don't want to be weighed. And there's really only very few instances where they actually need it. Like if they're going to be dosing a medication, that's weight dependent. But for like all your regular check-ins, they don't actually need it and you're allowed and able to decline. I actually think that's a great reminder that like we as healthcare providers work for you. People that I train forget this sometimes because they ask me, would it be okay if, and I'm like, you're the boss here. Mm -hmm. I work for you. And I think that we forget doctors work for us too. Yeah. You and, know, so we have the right to say, I don't want this thing or I do want this. Right. And one thing, like when I'm working with people and we're moving to a more weight neutral approach to health and they're working on healing their relationship with food and their relationship with body, with their body is like you can say if a doctor starts talking about weight loss and you don't want that conversation, 
or you prefer more weight neutral care, you can say, I'm working on healing my relationship with food and my body. And or I prefer just to talk about behaviors. If you want to talk to me about what I'm doing or First of all, how about asking people how they're doing instead of just launching right. in with a weight lecture? Yep. I don't think a doctor's ever asked me how I'm doing. No. I don't think that that's a common question. Well, because they're so pressed for time, probably. probably. Also, is another problem with the health part of it. But yeah, like start there, right? That could be beneficial. <laughs> um, but you can really say, I don't want to talk about weight. Talk to me about what I can do. And also another really helpful thing is if I had this problem that I'm experiencing right now and I was in a smaller body, what would you be telling me right now? That's what I would like to talk to you about. Yeah, you've said that to me before and I found that really helpful. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad. So you can help navigate the conversation. And I know it's super hard and a lot of people have a lot of fear around the doctor and white coat syndrome and shame. And I'm really sorry if you experience that. There are weight neutral not only dietitians like myself or personal trainers, but therapists, but you can find weight neutral doctors. They are harder to come by, but they do exist and they're growing in numbers mm-hmm. and maybe you feel empowered to look out for that. Yeah, absolutely. Sharing your personal story with us. Of course. Sorry, it was kind of a downer. <laughs> See you guys next week. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Wellness Rebranded. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps us get the weight neutral message out to others and makes for a better society. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wellness Rebranded. If you found this helpful, please take a moment and leave us a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about Mora, you can find her website, moratunny.com. To connect with Tara, find her on Instagram at Tara De Leon Fitness. To connect with me, Elizabeth, visit me at elizabethharrisnutrition.com. And while you're there, follow the link to join my health and healing with intuitive eating community on Facebook.